We're going to turn to God's Word now, and we're going to read our Scripture reading for this morning, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 23 down to verse 46. Um, Chapter 22, reading from verse 23 down to verse 46, and that's on page about 828 of the Pew Bible, uh, or it'll be on the screens um, before you. But I always encourage you, if you can, pick up a, a... copy of the Bible you can hold uh, and get to know it and learn what it is. And there's nothing like actually holding God's Word and be able to turn uh, to it as well. Phones are good, technology is good, but for me there's nothing better than holding an actual copy of, of the Word of God. So let's read together in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, reading from verse 23. And we're thinking this morning about what's um, your motive, why, why do we come? We kind of thought about that with the kids this morning as well a little bit. Why do we go to these places? I'm going to think this morning about how we approach Jesus, why we approach Jesus, why we come um, to worship Him. So let's read together this morning. The same day that Sadducees came to Him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked Him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then? that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Amen. And may God bless us the reading of his holy word this morning. And may he give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open, and minds to understand what he has to say to us this morning. So we thought about why we go to Bray Head and why we go to these different sports facilities, and we heard the answers from the boys and girls. Uh, We asked, why do you come to church? And, you know, Aria told us to learn about God. Jacob told us to to learn about Jesus. And we heard as well, you know, to, to worship him. And what wonderful answers that the boys and girls are already grasping why we come to this place. I wonder if I was to ask you, 
Why do you come here? What would your answer be? I'm not going to make you shout out loud, don't worry. Um, maybe some of you think that's a very good question. I don't actually know why I come. Um, but that might be where you're at this morning. That might be the, the, the answer to that question. Why do you come here? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know why you come. Maybe it's habit. Maybe it's because it's what you've always done. You always went to church. You always went to Sunday school. You always went to the boys' brigade or girls' brigade. And, and you've just carried up going on with that on a Sunday morning because that's what you do on a Sunday morning. What else is there for you to do on a Sunday? Maybe it's because we want to grow in our faith, or maybe it is because, and this is my prayer, is that we as a church, we all get to this place, it's because we want to worship Jesus. We want to see Jesus lifted high. We want to gather with God's people. Maybe some of you come because someone else makes you. Maybe you just feel drawn, and actually just now you can't really articulate why you come, but you just feel that you need to be here. And maybe you can't really give an answer to that question. Maybe it's because you want the kids to come, so you come just because of them, because you want them to get a good starting in life. Maybe you come Sunday by Sunday to be convinced. Remember one time I was working in a school, and one of the wee girls told me I had 10 weeks to convince her that God was real because she was an atheist. The reality is I can't convince anyone that God exists. I can't convince anyone to become a Christian. We don't do convincing. We pray for conversion, that people are converted, that, they, that God works in their lives supernaturally by His Spirit, and He takes them from a place of death to a place of life. I can't do that. I can't convince you to do that. That's, that's the work of the Spirit. And I think that our motive will always manifest itself in how we act as a church. Our motive for why we gather here will manifest itself. It will be shown to those around us, to our community. It will be shown in how we act as a church. Let me break that down for you. If we come because of habit, because it's culturally what we do, it's because our granny and our grandpa and our mum and dad and the great-great-grandparents, they came here. We always came. That's just always what we've done. If that's the reason we come, it's because we're good Church of Scotland people and that's what we do on a Sunday morning. We head along to the kirk and we put a collection in and we worship God and then we go home and we live our life for the rest of the week for ourselves and then we go back to church on Sunday because that's what we do on Sunday. If that's the reason we come, if that's our motive, then often that manifests itself in preservation. Because we want to preserve that place so that our children can continue to go to it. We want to preserve the building and its traditions because that's where we gather, that's where we go. It's what we've always done. If this place is the reason we come, what happens if the doors are closed tomorrow? What happens? What would you do? Let's say, God forbid, that we go home today and there's a fire in this building and the whole thing burns down. What would you do? Would you come and worship in the field with us? I pray you would. Because actually, as much as we love this building, it's just brick and mortar. It's not the reason we come. But you know what pains me? I've heard so many people with regards to the presbytery plan, this thing that we're seeing so many church buildings get closed down. I've heard so many people in conversation say, I'm not going to go anywhere else if they close my church. How have we got to there? How have we got to that place that a building is more important than Jesus? The answer is 
because of the reason we gather. It's because of our motive for gathering. If we gather here because of our kids and we want them to get a good moral start out in life and, you know, go through the Sunday school because we did that as kids, then what happens when they turn 16, 17, 18? We know what happens. If your kids are the reason you come, you'll end up stop coming. Again, we've seen that. We've all experienced people who bring their kids and then they, they never darken the door of a church again once their kids don't want to come anymore. Their motive for coming is not to worship Jesus. It's so that their kids get a good moral start in life. So you see how our motive will manifest itself in our lives. And eventually it comes out. We end up seeing how in our behavior and what we do. And also, there are people who gather, and this might you know, boggle your mind because this is meant to be a good place full of good godly Christians. There are people who gather within God's people for not pure reasons, but actually they gather to bring disruption. We see that in the Bible as well. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. Friends, we need discernment. We need to make sure, we need to test the spirits. That's what the Bible tell us, tells us. We need to make sure that those who we're gathering, especially if it's someone we're gathering under, if it's a, if it's a minister or a, a pastor or a preacher, that we're gathering because actually they want to see Jesus lifted high. If, it's, if that's not their reason, run away from them. Because it's not the good godly motive that we see within the Scriptures. We see that the Apostle Paul says, you will hear people in life who will teach you contrary to the things that the Scriptures are meant to teach us. Keep away from them. But friends, if Jesus is our reason, if we gather to worship Him and glorify Him, then it shouldn't matter where it is. It shouldn't matter when it is. It shouldn't matter what it looks like. If He is the reason... Friends, ministers can come and go, buildings can come and go, traditions come and go, but Jesus remains. Imagine what this place would look like if each one of us could hand on heart truly say that actually we just want to see Jesus lifted high in this place. Imagine the potential that we have then for what God can do. If we lay down all the things that we want, all our own preferences, all our own stylistic ideas, imagine if we just gathered for the sole reason to lift Jesus high. Hell would shake and quake at the thought of that. So this morning, let's look at why we come here. We've heard these verses before. I preached them a couple of times, maybe a few years ago, uh, about the love the Lord your God. But I want to see the, the, the motive and the reason for coming to Jesus this morning that we see present within uh, the passage that we've read. Jesus in our passage is kind of like on trial. He's um, basically um, been asked, he's been grilled, he's been asked lots of different questions. They've come uh, and he's, they've placed Jesus under the microscope. And now, not for good um, benefit for their own souls, um, but because they want to trap Jesus, they want to trip him up. You know that thing that some people do when they ask a question? We've all seen it. We've all seen it in, in 
in classes and lectures and conferences, um, even within kind of politics, when someone kind of asks a question, not because they want to learn any knowledge, but because they want to try and tip up the person that they've asked the question to, or they want to show how much knowledge that they have. We all had people in school like that. They knew the answer, and they ask a question, uh, teacher, sure, that's, am I right in saying that such and such? And they know that that's right. They just want to show off to the rest of the class. We've seen people like that who ask questions not with good intentions. Well, that's what's happening here. They're asking Jesus questions. They're placing him under the microscope, not for good intentions, not for godly motives or, or, or um, kind of uh, furthering their own knowledge, because they want to trap Jesus. They want to trip him up. And we see that because the Sadducees, whenever I say the word Sadducees, it always makes me think of a song that I sang at camp a long, long time ago. I'm going to try and find it so that we can sing it with the boys and girls. Basically, it's, I want to be a sheep. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And it's ba ba ba. And the whole thing is, I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're just so sad, you see. And that always what's made me think whenever I read of the Sadducees, don't be a Sadducee. They're just so sad, you see. Um, and actually, they are. They're really, really sad. They come to Jesus and they, they know, uh, they believe that there is no resurrection. We're told that, verse 23, they believe that there's no resurrection. And what do they come and ask Jesus a question about? The resurrection. Why? Not because they want to say, teacher, you know, open our eyes to help us believe that there is the possibility. They ask Jesus this most convoluted, kind of difficult um, uh, question that they, they pull lots of different parts and, and pieces and they take part of the law that, that, that God had placed in place um, whereas when a man died that if he had no children then his brother must marry the widow and, and the point of that is is, is protection of, of the vulnerable. In, in those days the widow would have been such a, a vulnerable person in, in, in old Bible times and, and actually it was, it was creating a space where she, you know she did, her life wasn't going to fall apart now that her husband died. If he had a brother, that, that God's law would look out for her. Because God is the protector of the widows we read in Scripture. And there's a lovely heart behind this law within the Old Testament and good reason for it back in those days. But they pull on this law and they, they say, well, what if there's seven brothers? And it happens seven times. Well, run away from that woman. There's obviously something, there's obviously something that's going wrong. Seven brothers have died. What happens? Who's she going to marry in the resurrection? They don't even believe in the resurrection. And look at how they approach Jesus. Teacher. And just hear the, the cold-hearted, that nasty, we'll give him his title, but we don't think he's a teacher. Teacher. It's all for public display. It's all an act. It's all a show. Trying to lure Jesus in and, and make him trip up. They maybe look genuine on the outside, but not at all. They don't come to Jesus with hunger or repentance or faith or hope. They don't even come with, you know, that, that doubt that sometimes that we have in life. And it's okay to bring that to God, but that's not how they come. They come to trick him, trying to make him slip up. And isn't Jesus' response to them really interesting in verse 29? You are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. You don't get this. You might think that you have it all together, but you couldn't be farther away from what the Scriptures are actually saying. You might know different verses 
if they're in your head, they've not made that long road from the head to the heart. You don't know the Scriptures. They're not a word to your feet and a, 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 a light to your, your feet and a lamp unto your path. They're not like honey resting on your lips. You don't know the power of God. You don't even believe in resurrection. God isn't the God of dead. He's the God of the living. You don't know Him. Isn't it sad that the same response could be said to so many in churches across our land today that they don't know the Scriptures and they don't even have a, an inkling into the power of God. They don't know Him. They don't know the Word. As Philip Brooks once said, the Bible is like a telescope. If a man looks through his telescope, he sees worlds beyond. But if, if he looks at his telescope, he does not see anything but that. The Bible is a thing to be looked through to see that which is beyond. Friends, as we open up the Scriptures, this isn't just a book containing some good information and good advice. This is the living, breathing Word of God that penetrates to the, our very center of our hearts, trying to nourish our souls. You can have all the Bibles on your bookshelf at home you want, but if you aren't reading them, then it's no good. It's no good. It's like, a, it's like a good luck token. So many Christians are like people who have those Buddha statues in their house. They think it's going to bring them you know, good, good fortune and everything. They have it sitting on a shelf. So many Christians are like with that with the Bible. They buy them and they put them on the shelf, but they never open them. Read your Bibles. It's the very Word of God. It's meant to nourish our souls. Know the Scripture so that you can know His power. Know what He has in store for you and the plans that He has for you and the words of life that He looks to bring to you. In a seminary mission class, Herbert Jackson told how as a new missionary, he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. After pondering his problem, he devised a plan. He went to the school near his home, got permission to take some children out of class, and had them push his car off. As he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used the ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced the Jackson family to leave, and a new missionary came to that station. When Herbert Jackson proudly began explaining his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. Before the explanation was complete, the missionary interrupted. Can you just imagine Herbert Jackson saying, so what you have to do is you have to find a hill, you have to park the car there, and then you have to walk whoever knows how many miles, or you have to leave the car running and pray that no one's going to steal it. And that would be me. I'd be so proud if I'd come up with this great plan. Honestly, if you leave at the top of a hill, by the time you hit the bottom, your faith will have kicked in and off you'll go. You'll be like, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, off you go. But this new missionary interrupted him. Why, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. For two years, needless, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting the power to work. And J.B. Phillips, who tells, tells a story, goes on and he uses Ephesians 1 and paraphrases how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God. When we make firmer connection with God, His life and power flow through us. 
So many Christians, they park themselves on top of a hill and they're trying to do it themselves. And the power is there all along. Just connect to God. Read His Word. Ask Him to step in to your life. But we need to know Him and we know Him and we learn of Him and grow closer to Him as we spend time in His Word. And Jesus, He rebukes the Sadducees. Don't be a Sadducee. They're so sad, you see. They don't get it. They come with the wrong heart, the wrong motive. They come to trip Jesus up and they come thinking they know it all. They know some verses. They've pulled the law to try and use it for their own gain. And Jesus rebukes him. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. They come with the wrong motive. And then up steps the Pharisees. And I can't remember what the Pharisees are in that song. I will find the lyrics for you. It's a good song and it's very catchy. The Pharisees step up and it's their turn again. Jesus has already silenced them. Before the Sadducees came um, to Jesus, just the verses just preceding it, the Pharisees have already asked Jesus about tax and tried to trip Jesus up by, you know, who do we give? You know, do we pay taxes to Caesar or, or you know, do we give things to God? How does this work? They're trying to trap Jesus. The Sadducees step up. They ask this question, trying to trick Jesus. And then the Pharisees go, right, we'll go again. Third time lucky. We're going to get him this time. And they ask Jesus a teacher a question. Teacher. Again, can you hear it? Teacher. They're trying to give him this. They kind of pander to him. But Jesus knows their heart. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? This will get him. This will be the one that trips him up. And Jesus responds quickly to them what they thought was a really tricky question. Jesus, who's the very word made flesh? The one who's come to fulfill the law. They think they can trip him up. And he answers from a verse in Deuteronomy and also in Leviticus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he goes on and says, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. And then it says in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I remember reading once, you know, that the rest of the Old Testament is just an explanation of how we do these two things. How we love God with everything and how we love our neighbor. Everything else is telling us how to do that. They are the two greatest commandments that we have been given. Friends, if we seek to obey this in this place, if we seek to lift Jesus high and to love him with everything that we have and then to love our neighbors as ourselves, we will be doing well as a church. Let's work hard to live out these verses through the power of God. He doesn't say you shall obey the Lord. He doesn't say you shall do this or that for God. He points to their heart posture. Why? He says you shall love him. For we can obey without love, but we cannot love and not obey. You can, be, you can be obeying what the Bible says and not love God. You can be following it as a tick box exercise. That's not what God is calling you for. He's calling for relationship. But if you say you love him and you really love him, then you will obey him. And his commandments will be a delight for you as the psalmist says. This is our primary motive. This is the reason that we should be coming here, the reason we live and breathe, for loving God and seeking to love our neighbors. And then just as we look to wrap up this morning, Jesus then asks a question. They've tipped Jesus, or tried to tip Jesus up. They've tried to trap him. They've asked him what they thought were really difficult questions. And then Jesus thinks, well, it's my turn. I'm going to ask you a question now. 
And what a question he asks them. Why does Jesus ask this question? That is a good question. Why does he ask it? I honestly think because the answer to this question determines the posture of our hearts and our motive for approaching him. They've not been approaching Jesus in the right way, in the right manner. But then Jesus asks a question that I think strips everything else away and it leaves us standing before God Almighty. Everything else, you know that song when the music fades? It's like that. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. So Jesus asks this question. He strips all of this pomp, all of the ceremonial stuff, all of the religious traditions, all of the things they think that they know, all of the things that they thought that they knew, and Jesus asks him this question so that they stand bare before God Almighty and their hearts are placed under the microscope. And how we answer this question will be what leads us to find our motive for why we come here. This is a question that brings us to a place where we're split into two camps, where we're split into two groups of people. In the Bible, there's two groups of people. There's those who are saved and there's those who are lost. There's no middle ground. There's no fence to sit on. We're either saved and we're part of the bride of Christ and we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ and His atoning works or we're lost and we're damned to hell. That's what the Bible tells us. There's no middle ground. And anything that makes you think that there might be a middle ground or that you can earn it after this life, that's lies, it's wrong, it's false. It's not the gospel. Friends, we're all going, we were all going to a lost eternity. That's why God stepped down in the cool of the day and he offers his gospel, he offers his life, he offers forgiveness to any who place their hope and trust in him through faith in his son. And Jesus asks this question in verse 42, what do you think about the Christ? You've come with your religious law questions. You've come with these questions that have been from wrong motives and tried to trip me up. But I'm asking you a question this morning, Jesus says. What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? What do you think about the one who God had promised from the very, uh, uh, very beginning of uh, when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, where God promises this child who would come? What do you think of him? Jesus highlights the root of the issue. They didn't understand who the Christ is. They didn't understand who Jesus is. We can play at being church. We can play at being a big presbytery. But see, if we don't know who Jesus is, there's no point. Who is this Christ, he asks and the answer they give is the way that they, their minds are, 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 are shaped. They answer with regards to human um, language and human terms. For they thought that the one who was coming was going to bring kind of physical and, and, and a human liberation. The answer and the way, they, they're trapped. They, they, they know they're trapped. The son of David, they say. And then Jesus puts another point back to them. And he pulls in a psalm where David is kind of bound down to the Messiah, the one who was coming. And they say, well, if David is bound down to his son, how does that make sense? 
They didn't understand it. They thought that Christ was just a human descendant. And this highlights the issue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders. They didn't grasp who this Jesus was. Have you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Because the answer to that question will shape the reason you come here. If he's just a good moral teacher and he's been a good teacher that's given us good morals that we can follow in this life, then no wonder people bring their kids to church. Gives them a good start. But Jesus claimed to be far more than just a good moral teacher. So who is this Jesus to you? For friends, it is all about him. And it is all for him. And it is all because of him. So what are you waiting for? Jesus is the savior of the world. He bled and died in your place to forgive your sins. That is what the scriptures tell us. What are you going to do with that? And you know, I, I could be wrong, but the more I look at what's happening to the Church of Scotland, the more it feels like to me that we're going through a dismantling process. We're going through a stripping back process. We're going through a refining process, which is painful, which is hard. And for me, it's that, what that hymn says that I mentioned earlier on, when the music fades and all is stripped away. Will you simply come? Will you? And by his spirit, he stands and says this morning, what do you think about the Christ? And what Jesus is saying to you this morning is, what do you think about me? What do you think about me? The Bible tells us what he thinks about you. He loves you so much that he came to give you life. But what do you think about him? The son of God, the savior of the world, the darling of heaven who was crucified, the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Ransom, the way, the truth, the life. He's calling your name this morning. Come to him and let him shape your whole life. Not just your reason for Sunday morning, but your reason to breathe, your reason to live. Let him be the reason you live because we're the reason he died. Let us pray. Lord, we take a moment just now and we stand before you. And Lord, maybe we want to hold our hands out before you and show, Father, that we come to you in faith. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to your cross we cling. And Lord, by your Spirit this morning, you have met us with a question. Who do we say that you are? Father, maybe we thought we knew all about church and what it was about and all these different things, but Father, we pray this morning that even those of us who have been around church for many, many years, Lord, would you strip everything away? Lord, we come to lift you high. And we can only come because of what you've done for us. Father, work in our lives. 
May this be the day of salvation, Lord, even for one soul. Help us call out to you and ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for looking to be convinced. Lord, help us to be converted. Help us to come to faith in you. Bring us from death to life. From hopelessness to hope-filled future. From despair to delighting in you and the promise of what you have in store for your bride. May it be so. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.